Welcome to the Junk Refund Show, hosted by Alan J. Cook, founder of 1-800-JUNK-REFUND. Have you ever paid those expensive junk removal companies to take away some of your stuff? Only to say to yourself, as a truck drives off down the street, some of that stuff wasn't junk. Did they try to sell it for you and give you some money back? No. Well... Now there is a company that can do just that. Listen to our weekly Junk Refund Show on BBS Radio TV to learn how one lady spent $375 on junk removal and got $3,200 back. 1-800-JUNK-REFUND represents the next generation of junk removal. Learn how to not only save your money on junk removal, but how to get some money coming back. Plus, purchase one of our radio vouchers during the show to save even more on your junk removal. Let's get the junk out of your home and out of your life. Now, with your host, Alan J. Cook. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Junk Refund Show. I'm Alan Cook, coming to you live from Lay Hill, Maryland, which is uh, kind of a suburb of Silver Spring, Maryland. I just dropped my buddy Warren off, who is hanging out at McDonald's for the next hour, which he's thrilled about. He's going to get some late lunch while I'm here doing this radio show from the uh, big shopping center parking lot, as a matter of fact. Anyway, welcome to the Junk Refund Show. It's been... uh, been an exciting couple of weeks. I'm going to tell you about some adventures that I've had and uh, fill you in on some things that I've learned along the way. And I'm going solo today. I don't have a guest lined up today, um, but that's all right because there's plenty to talk about in the world of junk and junk removal. Um, the company is 1-800-JUNK-REFUND. You can check out the website at 1-800-JUNK-REFUND.com and check out all the different things that we do there. Uh, we've been in business about 20 years. We're in the Washington, D.C. area, headquartered in Bethesda, Maryland. We do jobs all over the country, and it's really a fun thing to do. It's kind of like getting paid to go on treasure hunts is kind of what it's like. There's a crappy part of it, of course, where you, you know, all kinds of stuff that goes through your hands, and you're in and out of county dumps all the time and landfills and all that kind of stuff. But the fun thing about what we do is that we not only get rid of the junk for people, you just point to it and we pick it up and haul it off. We recycle stuff like metal and wire. So we try to be a really green company that way. We donate items, Goodwill, Salvation Army, a wider circle, you know, Purple Heart, etc. And we get you receipts for those donations. But where it really gets fun is when it ties into my first 10 years of my career when I was a stockbroker and I was always looking for good purchases or good values to buy either for myself or for clients. So we're always looking for that kind of stuff that someone tosses away that's really not junk and we think someone else might buy. And when we find that stuff, if we think it will sell, we put it up for sale. And if it sells, the person who hired us gets a percentage of that sale back. So we are the only junk removal company in the country that has been creating success stories of sending money back to people for what's now about 20 20 years or so. And I could take up a number of shows just telling you about some of those experiences, but I'll mention a couple of them to you that we always like to talk about the stuff that's happened recently and some of the lessons that we've learned along the way. So let me just kind of jump into what's a couple of things I just want to talk about today. First of all, to all the entrepreneurs out there, all the business owners, etc., one of the great things to do in a business is to come up with some kind of a special promotion or a campaign that gets people's attention and encourages them to buy now. I thought about, and the holidays, the different holidays throughout the year are a good catalyst to do just that. So when the 4th of July was approaching, this was about a month ago now, Fourth of July was approaching. I thought, let's see, what can we do, you know, for this and some some way to come up with something kind of cool. We do house cleanouts, among other things. Uh, we work with a lot of realtors, 
where they, you know, refer us to their clients. Somebody's, somebody's died. Somebody's getting a divorce. Somebody got a job transfer. Somebody just retiring. You know, somebody's downsizing because the kids have all grown up and moved away or whatever. So there's a house that needs to go on the market, but you need to get it decluttered and cleaned up before you take photos of the house and advertise it, you know, on the multiple listing service. So the realtors refer people to us and we go in and clean the house up. Normally, when you clean out a house, we, we base the pricing by the truckload. And when we say a truckload, there's all different sizes of trucks. But if you think about a 12-foot box truck, that's the size truck you would rent from Home Depot, for example, that is enclosed, not an open bed truck, but an enclosed truck. It's the ones that Home Depot have. We've used them quite a bit over the years. One of those is $695. A lot of companies in the Washington, D.C. area will charge you eight to 900 bucks for the same amount of stuff hauled away. When we set our pricing years ago, we tried to set it about 20% below some of these bigger junk removal businesses as one of our competitive advantages. So it's about $695 for a 12-foot box truck. And when you clean out a typical size home, you'll have four to seven truckloads of stuff. If it's a hoarder, you might have nine or ten truckloads. If it's a minimalist, you might have two or three. But on average, you're going to have at least around four to five and probably more. So I created a special for the 4th of July where I made six house cleanouts or office cleanouts available where you get up to five 12-foot box trucks of stuff hauled away, which normally is going to be just under $3,500. I created a special, six of them, for seventeen seventy-six which, of course, ties into the whole 4th of July theme. So it's basically half price, and there's only six of them available. I uh, put it out on Facebook. I created an ad. I emailed it to eight or 900 contacts and realtors and stuff like that that we worked with. And the first one got purchased in about 48 hours, and they pay for it by credit card, but it goes into our PayPal account. So... I get this little ding on my phone that Joe has just paid me $1,776 from Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which is where the first one was purchased from. So we went out and did that job, and it doesn't have to be five truckloads. It's up to five truckloads. But if you get anywhere from two and a half truckloads or higher, you're better off purchasing this deal for $1,776 than paying the a la carte price of about $700 for a truckload. So anyway, Joe's wife uh, in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, uh, uh, about 30 minutes from where we're headquartered in Bethesda, bought one of these, and we went over and cleaned out that house. Joe kind of showed us, well, he was there, you know, take this, take that, etc. We ended up hauling about, I don't know, three and a half to four truckloads of stuff away. These guys saved about $1,300 on their job, and... That's a big savings. That's a big deal. That gives them 1300 bucks to do something else with. Some of the stuff, like the metal stuff, we took to the, the metal scrapyard and they paid us some money for it. You don't get a ton of money, but you do get like gas money and stuff like that. You get some money for it. We donated some stuff and sent them donation receipts. I don't think we sold anything as I'm thinking back on the job because I don't think they really had some stuff there that was, that was in good enough condition to sell. But we got the job done, and they were thrilled. And a few days later, somebody in Wisconsin, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. It took me a couple of days to learn to say that city. They, they bought one. And a couple of days after that, a lady in Chicago bought one. And I found out that Oconomowoc is only about 110 miles northwest of Chicago. The lady in Chicago is in Arlington Heights, which I fell in love with because it's like when you're in Arlington Heights, Illinois, this nice kind of upscale suburb of Chicago, any place that you need to go to just do your life is like within less than five miles of, of this house that we were at. The donation places, there's a whole, a whole street full of donation places. They're all in one part of town. Uh, it was fabulous. The the, the, the dump where we took some stuff was not that far away. Um, it was just a really cool thing. 
in uh, in Wisconsin, it's a little more spread out. There's corn everywhere, right? Miles and miles of cornfields, beautiful cornfields, perfectly lined up rows of corn as far as you can see. And we went and did those two jobs. I even did I did a radio show from the job in Wisconsin, I think, a few weeks back. We finished those up. But an interesting thing is in between those two, because they're only about 100 miles apart, we set up to do the Wisconsin job on a Thursday and Friday um, of a couple of weeks ago on a Thursday and Friday. My daughter, Kelly, got married a couple of months ago, and she and her husband, Jake, um, were selected to perform in a summer church outdoor pageant that runs in a town called Nauvoo, Illinois. Nauvoo is well known to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because it was an early prosperous settlement in the early days shortly after the founding of the church. And it was a very busy place, a very prosperous place, and um, it has a great story, which I'll come back and talk about a little bit later. But every summer, our church does an outdoor pageant there, and my daughter and her husband were chosen to to be a couple of the full-time permanent performers in that pageant. Nauvoo, Illinois is about four hours from Chicago. It's about 300 miles. So I went to Wisconsin. I did the job on Thursday and Friday. I actually finished up Saturday morning. Everything went well. And then um, took off, drove back down through Chicago and took off towards Illinois and got to Illinois, to Nauvoo, Illinois, about 5 o'clock. Pageant started around seven o'clock. I got to watch them perform. They were terrific. Spent the night uh, there in the hotel. Uh, went to church the next day. Got together with my daughter for a few hours to see some of the historical sites there in Nauvoo, and then drove back to Chicago Sunday afternoon, where I started the Chicago job Monday morning. So it was a great thing that worked out because I was able to do some some family time and see my daughter perform, coincidentally, only 300 miles from where a couple of people bought these jobs. The fourth job got purchased in Hickory, North Carolina, which is like one of the furniture capital manufacturing places in, in, the, in the United States. And the fifth one got purchased in Iowa, in Ames, Iowa, just north of Ames. And the sixth one got purchased in Charlotte, North Carolina. So now we had two jobs purchased. And remember, these are paid for in advance. So it's kind of important that you show up and do your work, right? So th then we had this one purchased in, uh, in Charlotte. We had two in North Carolina. So we scheduled this week, Monday through Friday, to be down in North Carolina. We drove down Monday morning. We were able to get the first job done in about a day and a half. We thought it was going to take two to three days. We then went and did the second job in about one day, and whammo, both jobs are done, and we're back in Montgomery County, Maryland, and all six jobs have been completed. We did the Iowa job last week. So I'm going to talk to you about just a couple of things. One of them is that when, when you – six times about 1776 is somewhere around $10,000, and if you put together – a good promotion that's a good value for other people, people are going to realize it and they're going to jump on it and respond to it. All six of these people saved money on what normally would have been the cost of their job. They're all very happy about it and got their jobs done, and it was a lot of fun. But it was also a lot of work, which brings me to some of the points that I want to make in the radio show today. Um, sometimes in life, you just have to do what you have to do. And that's all there is to it. So I'm going to talk about this Iowa job as an example because I was just there this last week. I've written down here about 15 different thing, points I want to make on this job um, in kind of a teaching situation here and just tell you what my life has been like as a junk removal guy who goes, we go all over the country doing these jobs. The first thing was the airfare. You have to, when you sell a job for basically 1800 bucks. You can't spend $1,000 on your airfare, right? You're now trying to keep all your expenses minimalized so that you're going to come out of this with making a profit, obviously. Otherwise, you're just kind of wasting your time. 
Well, thank heavens for Allegiant Airlines, which had a flight going from Washington, D.C. through Nashville and up to Des Moines, Iowa. I booked that flight round trip for about $160. And that's, that's doable. That's a good airfare from Washington round trip to Des Moines. The problem was the plane leaving Dulles in Virginia, or say Washington, D.C. area, the plane didn't leave. It was three hours late. So nothing you can do about it. You wait around and boom, you take the plane and you get into Nashville. And I come off the, the walkway there at Nashville into the terminal. And immediately on my left-hand side is the Allegiant desk with the billboard up there that says, um, going to Des Moines, Iowa. And then underneath it has those two, or that one fatal word that says, departed. <laughs> I missed the connection flight to Des Moines by 15 minutes. So now I'm in Nashville. I'm here to tell you there are not a ton of flights going from Nashville, Tennessee to Des Moines, Iowa on any given weekday night. There just aren't. The, I checked the different flights that would be available. Allegiant said there's nothing we can do. This was a Tuesday night, last Tuesday night, and they or a week ago Tuesday night, and they said, um, there's nothing we can do. Just call customer service. There's nothing we can do for you here at the airport. Call customer service. Well, okay. And the, the, the lady at the terminal said, would you like to just rebook for our flight on Thursday? And I went, no. i got to have this job done by Thursday. I'm supposed to be there tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, about 9 o'clock for a lady who's already paid to have it done. So Allegiant couldn't help me out. So I checked the board for other flights going to Des Moines that night from Nashville. One of them was at American Airlines. I went over to American Airlines, and the problem is you can't just walk up and buy a ticket at the gate in some of these. By the time I, I missed the first flight that would have gone, and I think it was going to be like, I don't know, 300 bucks, but I don't think I went to Des Moines. I think I went to like Omaha or someplace. And then you got to rent a truck, and then you got to drive to, you know, and then it just it creates problems because then you got to take the truck back to Omaha, and then you got to buy another ticket to get back, well, all that kind of stuff. The other option was to go to a flight that night from Nashville to charlotte to des moines that flight was seventeen hundred dollars that wipes out all the money all the profit from the job couldn't do that the only other option was to rent a truck which is my first shout out of the show to enterprise rental car at the nashville airport i rented a dodge ram pickup truck now i had one that was reserved for me in des moines had everything gone smoothly it would have cost about 250 bucks for a couple of days with unlimited miles, um, and that's a good deal. But the one in Nashville was $125 for a couple of days with unlimited miles. The only problem is Des Moines is 660 miles from Nashville, Tennessee, and it's about 6 o'clock Tuesday night, and I've got to be in Des Moines, north of Des Moines, the next morning by about 9 o'clock. 660 miles, I put it in my phone, it's going to take me 10 hours to make that drive. And... That was my only choice. And so here's the other point that I want to make. It's about commitment. You know, when somebody has paid you to do a job, it's not their responsibility to get you to their hometown. It's your responsibility to get to the hometown. Here's a way I could do it for, for only, you know, what works out to be like 50, 60 bucks a day, unlimited miles. I just got to drive 10 hours. So I put it in my phone and my phone said, yeah, you can do it and you'll get there at 430 in the morning. And I said to myself, that's before 9 o'clock. That works. And I've got the pickup truck ready to start doing the job. So shout out to Enterprise Rent-A-Car at the Nashville airport who came to the rescue with a great pickup truck. This thing had like 30,000 miles on it. It was a kind of a hybrid-type truck, got about 22 miles to the gallon. And so at 7 o'clock, a week ago Tuesday in Nashville, I hop in this truck and I head out for Des Moines, Iowa. All right, we're going to take a break for a minute. I'm going to come back and keep going with this story and tell you what else I learned on this trip. Uh, you're listening to the Junk Refund Show on bbsradio.com. I'm your host, Alan Cook. We'll be back in just a minute. Have you ever hired one of those expensive junk removal companies, then wondered what they did with the stuff? especially the good stuff. 
At 1-800-JUNK-REFUND, we junk the junk. Recycle stuff like metal and wire. Donate items and get you receipts. And put up for sale the good stuff. And if it sells, you get some money back. Cynthia paid $375 for junk removal and got $3,200 back. Would you like to know how she did it? Tune in to the Junk Refund Show with your host, Alan J. Cook, every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time to get the junk not only out of your home, but also out of your life. This is Alan Cook. You're back with the Junk Refund Show, and I'm talking to you about my adventure in Iowa from last week. Step one was my flight out of Nashville to Des Moines. Uh, I missed it. I missed the connection by 15 minutes because the flight from D.C. to Nashville was three hours late. Nothing I could do about that. So I hop in a rental truck, and I got to drive 600-plus miles to uh, Des Moines, Iowa, so I can be there the next morning to do a job for this lady. So I hop in this truck and I take off. And I uh, I remember, you know, St. Louis was going to be about halfway. And I remember coming into St. Louis and seeing the arch and going through there. And the route took me up through this place called Keokuk, Iowa. And I that's a relevant place because when I was when I was 19, I went out and did some missionary work for our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was one of these Mormon missionaries when I was 19, and they sent me to Missouri. And you go there for two years, and when you're done, my family, my wonderful mother, um, rented a motorhome and basically put together a trip going cross-country with her 10 children. I'm not making this up. And uh, a big adventure. And when they went across the country, they pulled, they went to this Nauvoo, Illinois place because of the significance of church history. And they pulled into a gas station in Keokuk, Iowa, and didn't stop to think about the height of the motorhome compared to the height of the lights that were hanging over the gas pumps at the gas station. And one met another, and whammo, they stripped the lights off the gas station on the top of the motorhome when they pulled into Keokuk, Iowa. So Keokuk, Iowa is a very famous place in our family because we destroyed like half the town when we went through it the first time, ripping the lights off at this gas station. My poor mom. But uh, Keokuk has always been a, a, a fun place to, to talk about in our family. So when I was that 19, 20-year-old missionary in Missouri, we had a guy that was one of that was also doing what I was doing. He was he had been out maybe a year longer than I had. His name was Todd Memmott. And Todd was one of the leaders of the missionaries like me. And he taught us a poem. And I remember him teaching us this poem in a meeting that we had as the missionaries. And that poem said, stick to your task till it sticks to you. Beginners are many, but enders are few. Beat at it, sweat at it, smile at it too. Stick to your task till it sticks to you. Now, he taught me that poem 45 years ago. And I can still say it like I, I learned it yesterday. So I am uh, back to my story in this awesome pickup truck headed 600 miles north to Des Moines, Iowa, so I can be there at 9 o'clock the next morning to do a job for a lady And the fastest route to get there takes me to Keokuk, Iowa. Now, Keokuk is only 13 miles from Nauvoo, Illinois, where I had just been a couple of weeks earlier visiting my daughter and watching her perform in a church pageant. But it's a very historic and significant place for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's, it's kind of like a Mecca for us, so to speak. And I thought, well, I was just here a few weeks ago, but it's a it's a special place. I'll 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 hang. I'll I'll take an extra half hour. I'm so close. I might as well go back. So I pull. So I do that. I cross the Mississippi River. Keokuk is on the west side of the Mississippi River. Nauvoo is on the east side, and about 13 miles north. So I cross over the river. I go up to Nauvoo, Illinois, 
Back in the days, in the, in the mid-1840s, the members of our church sacrificed a great deal and built a temple there. And if you want to have some fun, Google the Nauvoo Temple, N-A-U-V-O-O, and you'll see a magnificent structure that was there. A few years after they built it, persecution built up, and they were basically driven from the site and went west and founded Salt Lake City and now have become a church of 17 million people around the world. It's a great success story. But Nauvoo was kind of the gathering place for a lot of people early on. The founder of the church, the prophet that we believe was a prophet that, that the church was restored through, a guy named Joseph Smith, and he and his brother Hiram were martyred um, at a place called Carthage, Illinois, which is about 20 miles from Nauvoo. So this is a very sacred place to members of our church, and I thought, well, I might as well go back there and, you know, have a little spiritual uplift again. This show, this radio show, talks about how to get the junk out of your home and out of your garage, but also out of your life. And one of the ways you can do that is to, is to sharpen up your spiritual side of your life. In, in whatever way you want to do it or etc. if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you're anywhere close to Nauvoo, Illinois, that is a very historical place for us. And so that's, I went there to kind of get a little bit of, of just uh, boost my spirit, so to speak. Well, when I, when I got there at 2 in the morning, as you can imagine, there's not a lot going on at 2 in the morning in Nauvoo, Illinois. In fact, there was nothing going on. Here is this magnificent, we went back years later, decades later, and rebuilt the temple to make it look as much as it looked like back in the 1840s. It's a magnificent building. It's, it is a, a building that members of our church use to go in and perform various kind of sacraments and ordinances and stuff like that. It's lit up all night long. So you have this magnificent temple that kind of sits up on the hill, looking west, down towards the Mississippi River. And then you have the town of these, these restored homes, dozens of homes that have been restored from the 1840s are down below the temple, closer to the river. And so members of our church throughout the summer love to go to this town to watch the pageant, think about their church history, kind of reconnect with some of the things that happened earlier on in our church history, etc. So it's a very special place. So I get there at 2 o'clock, and up on the bluff, you have this gorgeous, beautiful temple that is all lit up. And across the street facing the temple, you have large life-size bronze statues of Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram sitting on horses facing the temple, looking like they're having a conversation between the two of them. Back in June of 1844, these guys had to go to Carthage, Illinois, to turn themselves in because of charges that were brought against them from the state of Illinois that I think go back to the state of Missouri. And this statue, this, this carving of them, uh, the sculpture represents them on the morning that they went over to turn themselves in, going up on the horseback to this bluff and kind of pausing there and having a conversation and then going another 20 miles kind of southeast or yes, yeah, southeast towards Carthage, Illinois. So those two guys, Joseph and Hiram, are really important people in our religion. And I am up there, sitting there. I pulled up my, the truck up to this beautiful place. It's all exquisitely manicured and looked, looked after and taken care of. And here are these two important historical figures that I've known a lot about for decades, um, depicted sitting on horseback. So I take my journal, and I go over there, and I sit down in the little plaza next to these guys, and I just start thinking about everything these guys did in their lives and what it means to me. It's a meditation moment, so to speak. Back in June of 1844, those guys went over to the Carthage jail. They turned themselves in. A couple of other friends of theirs went with them, and a day or two later, 150 guys show up as a mob outside, blackened faces, and about five in the afternoon, basically pushed past the militia and the guards that were there that were supposed to be guarding these guys in the upper room of this jail, basically go up, shoot them, shoot their way into the room and kill Joseph and Hiram, each with four shots. Um, so that is a, a, a sacred place to us as well, 
because that's where a couple of our church leaders, early church leaders, gave their lives, right, for basically what they believe. So that's a big deal to us. And so I'm sitting there at 2.30 in the morning, and there is not a movement in town. It's me and Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith, his brother, the depiction of, of them on their bronze statues, etc., and this wonderful temple. That is, a, that is a mecca of meditation for somebody who's a member of our church. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You just don't get one-on-one time in a sacred place like that very often in the summer. But I'm here to tell you, at 2 in the morning, it works. So I took out my journal. I wrote down some thoughts. I had a wonderful experience. I got back in the truck. I took off going west. And at about 7.30 in the morning, I made it to my destination, which is a place called Story City, Iowa. I pulled into a gas station. I'd been driving for about 10 or 11 hours. Wasn't planning on that, but at least I made it. And I took a nap in the in the back of the truck or basically the middle section of the truck for about 45 minutes. And then I showed up at this lady's place a few minutes before 9 a.m., which was when I was supposed to be there. Now, she doesn't really have any idea about what I've been through, but the fact is I was there when I was supposed to be there. And I could have taken her money and gone to Mexico and never communicate with her again, which would have been wrong, of course. But no, you have... a a commitment that you have to keep. And that's one of the points I wrote down here. Point number five, keep the commitment. So I show up at this place and this is a lady living by herself with a couple of little dogs that love to just, you know, nip and bark and make all the noise they can to compensate for their small size, I think. But she has a boatload of stuff spread all over her outside of her house in front of her garages, all kinds of tools, and furniture and plastic bins and all kinds of stuff. And it's been sitting out for I don't know how long. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't months, but it was sitting out there. And in Iowa, you get a lot of rain and there's a lot of water in the bottom of these bins and everything else. So it's my job to clean that whole area out. She had a sofa and a love seat inside her home that she wanted to get rid of. She had some stuff around the back of the house. And she had some stuff on the side of the house. So I'm there with a pickup truck. I don't know where the local dump is. I don't know where the local scrap dealer is. But I start, I take the first load and fill up the pickup truck with metal and then Google, you know, scrap metal dealers. And it gives me some directions. I go, I go 10 miles south to Ames, Iowa. And eventually I talk to a couple of guys on the street and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to find this one particular place. They referred me to Mike's minis, meaning mini coopers. Mike is a guy that basically collects scrap metal and buys it and collects and restores cars, does a lot of restoration work on cars. Mike is my local scrap metal guy. So I pull in there. I give him the scrap metal out of the back. He pays me for it. That's run number one. It's 10 miles between. So I have found my scrap metal guy. I turn around. I go back to the lady's house. She lives by herself out in the middle of this beautiful farmland, you know, corn everywhere, all around her house, surrounded by cornfields. As far as the eye can see, you take a dirt road to get a gravel road to get from the main road down to where she is. And I just start making runs back and forth. Four or five runs I make to the scrap metal yard. Then it's time to get rid of a bunch of junk. So I load up a load of junk in the back of the truck. I take off and I go back down to Ames. I Google, you know, landfill near me. I find this landfill, and I can't remember the name of this, but apparently in Ames, Iowa, in 1975, the local landfill became the first one in America to create energy out of trash. And they're very proud of that. And that landfill is where I'm going. Now, sometimes when you go to landfills, they're run by, you know, big companies, big waste management companies kind of thing. And the minimum charge to empty your truck is 200 bucks. Well, that adds up if you're making a bunch of runs in a pickup truck. At this place, for a pickup truck, it's $25. And so the first time I went in there, they charged me 25 bucks. I went, great, that fits into my budget. And I emptied a, a load of, of trash, 
dashed 10 miles back up the freeway at 75 miles an hour, loaded up again, and I just kept running back and forth between these two places. The bottom line is that over two days, I took in seven truckloads of stuff, pickup truckloads of stuff to the, the metal scrapyard, and I took six loads of stuff into the landfill. And the second time I went into the landfill, the guy that was there that's charging me for it, he looks at the load and he goes, ah, you don't have as much as you had last time. I'm just going to charge you 10 bucks. I went, awesome. I love this place. So about half the time, they charged me $25 to get rid of a pickup truck or stuff. The other half, they charged me 10 bucks. And the point is, I made some really good friends right there at Mike's in Ames, Iowa, which is where I did the radio show from last Thursday. I literally took a load of stuff down there, emptied it out of the truck really quick so I could have it done by the 3 o'clock time, pulled out the front of his business, turned left on a frontage road, went down about 200 feet, parked the truck, and did the radio show from there last week when I had my friend Karen Rawlings on, who's one of the top realtors in Washington. So a shout-out to Mike's Minis, the great guys there who did a terrific job and gave me my scrap metal outlet for Iowa, and also to the Ames County dump. I don't know what it's, that's not what it's called. It's not Ames County, but it's, there's a, a transfer station there in Ames, Iowa, that is on record as being the first one in the country to turn trash into energy. And they're very proud of that there in, in Ames. So that having been done, getting rid of all of the, you know, the scrap metal and the junk is kind of easy. Then you get to the tougher stuff. This is point number eight. Um, one of the things this lady had in her area there outside her garage was a cement mixer. Now, a cement mixer is like this big bowl that rotates, big cement bowl that rotates. Um, it's on a kind of a little bit of a, a dolly. It's got two wheels that it's on, and then it's like a tripod, and on the back two points of the tripod there are wheels and on the front there's no wheel so it's mobile but the problem is the wheel on the back left was basically shot i don't know how that thing was still hanging on it was on like at a 45 degree angle the back the wheel on the back right was not in much better shape but at least it would roll a little bit this is sitting in the grass the grass is a foot long you know it's just it's been sitting there for i don't know how long but it's got to go now, I'm by myself, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, how do we do this? And so I go over and I see if it'll roll. Well, it did roll. you got to be careful, but it did roll. I rolled it out of the grass onto the cement driveway, pulled it out close to the truck. But remember, I've got a rental truck. You can't ding that rental truck and make a mess of that rental truck and end up paying for it. And I didn't want to do that. And I was trying to figure out, how do I get this sucker up into the back of the truck? I, I let down the tailgate of the truck, but I still have a good four feet that I've got to get this thing up in the air so I can get it into the truck and take it to the scrap metal yard. One of the other things that was still laying around in the, in the, in the, the garage there was a file cabinet, a four-drawer vertical file cabinet that I had taken the drawers out of and put in an earlier load that went to the scrap yard. And so what I'm looking for is some way, something to help me get the cement mixer halfway up into the truck. Well, that file cabinet was the answer. So I drug the file cabinet over, laid it down on its side, and laid it right, right there underneath or next to the tailgate. I then rolled the cement mixer over, and with a, with a cement mixer on two wheels and a third kind of, uh, what, tripod leg uh, that's there, you kind of just wiggle the cement mixer and you get one of those legs up onto the file cabinet. Then you tip it and you can get a second leg up onto the file cabinet. And then you tip it again and pretty soon the third leg is up on the file cabinet. That's a major victory because now this heavy cement mixer is halfway into the truck. At that point, you repeat the process, but you use the tailgate as the file cabinet this time. You tip it again, you tip it again, you tip it again, and pretty soon you have two broken wheels up into the, on the tailgate of the truck 
You then just tip it towards you and you roll it into the truck. So the point is you don't have to lift things all the time to get them into a truck. You just have to use physics. And my dad used to love the principle of the lever. He just thought that was an incredible principle that, you know, one lever can lift an awful lot of weight just by pushing down on it. I've been in so many situations where I've had to load a truck with whatever. This was one of those that worked where I was able to get a cement mixer into the back of a pickup truck by myself. I then came back and did it with a, a large snowblower that was there. I did the exact same process, wiggling it, tipping it, leaning it, using the file cabinet. I got that up into the back of the truck. Then I threw the file cabinet into the truck. Then the big heavy crap was out of this lady's backyard or front yard and was into the truck. And I did it by myself. So just because don't let the size of something discourage you and don't give up and don't think you need two or three more guys to do something. Just use physics and leverage and what you have available to you. You might be surprised at what you're able to accomplish. So that is point number nine. I got five or six more to make for the show today on what I learned in this trip at Ames, Iowa. Um, you're listening to Junk Refund Show. It's Alan Cook at 1-800-JUNK-REFUND, coming to you live from a parking lot in Lay Hill, Maryland, just outside of Silver Spring. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute, and I'll finish up the story of what I learned last week doing a junk removal job in Ames, Iowa. Have you ever hired one of those expensive junk removal companies, then wondered what they did with the stuff? especially the good stuff. At 1-800-JUNK-REFUND, we junk the junk. Recycle stuff like metal and wire. Donate items and get you receipts. And put up for sale the good stuff. And if it sells, you get some money back. Cynthia paid $375 for junk removal and got $3,200 back. Would you like to know how she did it? Tune in to the Junk Refund Show with your host, Alan J. Cook, every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time to get the junk not only out of your home, but also out of your life. This is the Junk Refund Show with Alan Cook, your host, the 1-800-JUNKREFUND.COM, broadcasting to you from outside of Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, last week, I was broadcasting from Ames, Iowa, where I went out and did a job. And I've been talking about that job this week because there are so many things that I learned in the process of getting this job done. I wrote down 15 of them, and I'm on number 10. These are just things that I learned that I want to pass along. These are like mini life lessons that are really good lessons to just review every once in a while. Um, I just talked about before the break about getting a cement mixer and a snowblower, a large, heavy gasoline operated snowblower up into a pickup truck by myself. Now I'm here to tell you, I did that. I'm not making this up, but it was, it was, through the use of a, of a metal file cabinet that I laid down on the cement that basically cut the distance in half between the tailgate of the truck, which is where I need to get these items up to, and the ground. And so sometimes you make great progress by cutting a big gap in half or putting in steps that you can take that are smaller steps to take. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of power in that process. I think sometimes in life, People say, well, I want to, you know, I want to lose some weight. I want to lose 30 pounds. And then they try to do it in like three weeks when they've taken 30 years to put it on or something, right? So I know there are things out there that different things that you see on TV that will help you do that, et cetera. But sometimes the way to lose 30 pounds is to just try and lose a pound a week for 30 weeks and give yourself some time. Don't try and do it quickly and kill yourself. Just you didn't put it all on in one night, right? So you're probably not going to take it all off in one night. Just take some time. In the, in the junk removal business, 
you know, I'm here in, in uh, a, a town called Story, or I was in a town called Story City, Iowa, which is about, I don't know, an hour north, 45 minutes north of Des Moines and about 10 miles north of Ames, Iowa. I'm there by myself with a pickup truck and I end up doing 13 loads of stuff that I load and unload by myself over the course of about 48 hours. That can be done and it didn't kill me, right? And that included loading a cement mixer and a large gasoline-powered snowblower um, among a boatload of other items that I put in those trucks. So it brings me to point number 10. One of the, one of the three of the greatest words in the English language are the words, I did it. And frequently when I go out and do these jobs, especially when I travel, I have some kind of an adventure and I come back from getting it done and I walk back into my, my house and I just, you know, start to set my keys and other things on the counter and I naturally just say, I did it with joy and emotion and accomplishment and a sense of pride. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing in my business when you take off across the country to go haul away some junk for somebody, even though they send you some photos of what the job looks like and stuff, you don't know all the details. You don't know where the dump is. You don't know how far it is. And you can't, I mean, you can sit down and try to Google that and figure it all out in advance. But the fact is there are, there are dumps all over the country. There are Goodwill stores all over the country. There are, you know, places, the scrap metal dealers everywhere. And they're going to be there. It's just a question of how far are they. So I'm a big fan of those three words, I did it. And if in your life you haven't said those three words recently, you might want to take on some kind of a project or a challenge or an adventure or a trip or whatever it is that turns you on and go out and do it. When I was 21, I went around the world in 80 days backpacking with two friends. We flew standby on Pan Am Airways, and we went to 25 countries in 80 days. Between the three of us, we spoke one language, that was English, and we did it. And we had the adventure of a lifetime. And that trip changed my life because it convinced me that you can accomplish these different things. We had people say, well, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to miss a semester of school? And we would say, because we want to go around the world. <laughs> and 40 years later now, no one has ever come to me and said, well, did you miss a semester of school when you went around the world? I mean, nobody cares. It's irrelevant. But there, you, you might even go to Amazon just for fun. Go to Amazon and look up around the world in 88 days and 88 things I learned along the way. That's my book. That's one of seven books that I've published. And is basically my journal of the trip turned into a book. And if you look at the cover of that book, you'll see three guys sitting on camels in front of the pyramids of Egypt. I'm the guy on camel number three on the far right. So if you want to read about a great adventure, I went around the world in 80 days when I was 21, visited 25 different countries, and my life has simply been a nonstop adventure ever since. I'm a big fan of doing things that cause you to say, I did it to yourself as a result of something that you accomplished. And this job up in Iowa is one of those that caused me to say when I got back home, I did it. One of the cool things about this, I was talking to my sister when I was in Iowa, and she mentioned the Iowa State Fair. The Iowa State Fair started last Thursday, the last day that I was in, um, in Iowa. And, or no, it's opened on Thursday, and I was there Wednesday, Thursday, and I left Friday. So after getting the job done Friday at about noon, I'm going, hey, i got to go check into the Iowa State Fair. It's It's you know, 20 minutes south in Des Moines. So I go down to the state fair. I park right across the street. I have 600 miles to drive back to Nashville because I have to return the rental truck back to the airport in Nashville. And I'm, I'm now at the Iowa State Fair, one of the biggest, most successful state fairs in the United States. I went to the information booth right inside the gate, and I said, hey, 
I'm only here for like an hour. What are two or three of the things I should, I should definitely see? And immediately, this guy who probably weighed 350 pounds, he looks at me and he goes, the butter cow. And I went, the, I'm sorry, what? He said, the butter cow. And I'm going, I said, where is he? He goes, straight up this walkway until you find another blue booth like this. Then you go to the right and it's inside that building. I went, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a massive cow that has been eating butter since it was born. And they called it the butter cow. That's the name of the cow. And I'm about to go see this massive, you know, cow. That's what I thought. So I walk up through this mob of people and so many food places right and left you can't believe it the one that caught my eye right off the bat was over on the left not long after i started walking up this big area this big um it's almost like a big strip mall of food joints basically i mean it was amazing what was there and all the people are there but there's a place on the left that had corn dogs for sale and they weren't just your average everyday corn dog and i love a good corn dog i don't get to eat them very often but i love them these suckers were a foot long. So they've got 12-inch long corn dogs. And I said to myself, I might have to get one of those before I come out. I walk all the way up to the other information booth, and I said, um, I understand the butter cow is up in this area. Where's the butter cow? Guy goes, right inside that building right there. I Okay. So I walk over inside this building, and there is a line of people that stretches around the perimeter, the inside of the building, the inside perimeter, I'll say, of this assembly hall. And, and I'm going, okay, I'm, you know, all kinds of exhibits and stuff are in there. And I kind of look straight out and I asked one guy, I said, where's the butter cow? He goes right over there behind the glass. So I, and he goes, but there's a line and I'm thinking, okay, but I can see it from right here and there's nobody in front of it except the people in line, single file, right next to the glass. And there's a rope that's about, you know, four feet away from the glass, five feet away from the glass that is there, but I can walk right up to the rope. And so I'm going, why are these people in line? I guess it's a courtesy thing because they couldn't all just head over to see the butter cow, but these people are all lined up around the outside and I just walk straight over to it, these glass windows. Behind the glass windows is a life-size cow carved out of butter. And I'm going, I've never seen anything like that in my life, and I've never imagined anything like that in my life. And next to the butter cow, they have a professional athlete, basketball player. And next to, next to her, they have another car, all carved out of butter. And next to her, they have a, a guy, professional basketball player. I didn't even get close enough to see who these people were, but I'm sure there's significant Iowa standouts, right? But there you have these massive life-size structures, including the cow, carved out of butter. And I went, holy crap. You, you don't see that in a lot of places. That's the butter cow. So then I go back to the guy who pointed me to the butter cow, and I said, hey, I've got about an hour. I've seen the butter cow. What else should I go see? He says, go down here, go left, go to the end, see the, the largest bull that's on display. And I went, B-U-L-L. -L, and I went, now you're talking. So I go down, I go left, I'm walking down, tons of people eating stuff, right and left, all kinds of food that you can imagine. People on little scooters, that, so they don't have to walk around the fair, they're, they're driving around the fair. Families, young kids, old kids, just, you know, older people, everything, a ton of people at this fair. And I go down and I walk in and lo and behold, there is Mean Gene. G-E-N-E, -E. Mean Gene won the competition for the largest bull at the state fair. Mean Gene is 3,060 pounds. And as you can imagine, Mean Gene is eating whatever he wants to out of a bucket. There is a rope, a single rope, that is blocking the people from the 3,000 pound bull. The bull does not have horns. It's just mean gene, 3,000 pounds. And I looked at those four legs of mean gene and I went, I don't know how those suckers hold you up. 3,000, a ton and a half of beef right there in front of me. But there is the prize winning bull of, of the Iowa State Fair. And these clever people called 
gene, the super bowl, super B-U-L-L. That's a brilliant idea. So there's the super bowl and I'm checking it out and there's mean gene. And I'm going, that's the largest bull that won the grand prize this year at the Iowa state fair. Um, a hats off to the, the good people in Iowa. I went into the another arena where they were judging swine. And about a dozen teenage girls and boys, maybe college age, were there walking around with their particular swine. There was a gentleman, maybe in his upper 30s, low 40s, probably in his 30s, that was talking to this crowd in this arena. The crowd was, it was packed. And he's talking about judging swine. And I guess that's what he does. Um, he, and, and he travels around the state of Iowa. And I think he was in the process of awarding the prize-winning ribbons for the swine competition that was going on right then. But he was talking to the crowd about how much he appreciates his wife, who stays home with a five-year-old and a two-year-old while he is out parading around, going around Iowa, working in his profession which is everything having to do with swine. And he was saying with a little bit of emotion how much he appreciated his wife for watching over those kids while he is out working on his job. And he said it with a little bit of emotion. He got a little, a little choked up. Well, the crowd loved that and gave him a lot of applause. And it's a very family, my point is it's a very family-centered place, Iowa is. And the farmers that are there and the lifestyle that they live and the sacrifice make thank God for farmers and thank God for all the land that is out there where they can grow. I don't know how many billion ears of corn they grow every year, but there's corn everywhere. Thank heavens for this work ethic that farmers have to provide for them, not only themselves, but everybody else that's around. And I was just really kind of touched by this because the the environment that you're in has a lot to do with how you turn out in a lot of ways, I think. And these folks are, here's this massive state fair with all kinds of stuff to eat. It's basically a, a and it's going on right now. I think it goes on for another week or so. It's basically a food heaven with a few animals mixed in around there, I think. That's kind of what it is. And every kind of food you can think of. They have deep-fried Twinkies, folks, that you can buy at this fair. They have foot-long corn dogs. I bought one item of food when I was there. It was a bag of mini donuts. They cook them right there in front of you. And I think I got 20 of these babies for like five or six bucks. They basically cook the donuts, sprinkle them in cinnamon and sugar, throw them all in a bag, and they give you a bag of donuts for like... 20 donuts inside there, and they're fresh, freshly cooked donuts. I just started popping those things in my mouth right and left. Had the best time I could imagine at this fair. But another thing, and I'll kind of close with, with this. Um, when I was a young kid, I was my, my grandfather owned a farm in Syracuse, Utah. My dad was raised on a farm and then became a, a school professor at Brigham Young University. But I have a little bit of farmer's blood in me through my father and my grandfather. And my grandfather had a John Deere green tractor with a very long rear axle, very tall, skinny tires on the back, two little tires on the front. And he used that thing to farm his, his acreage there in Syracuse, Utah. He had cattle. He would feed the cattle. He would talk to them. They would they know his voice, the whole deal. I saw one of those same green John Deere tractors at the tractor display at the fair. And one kid, who I'm going to guess is 10 or 11, is on this massive tractor, driving it basically down the walkway, around the corner, and then backs it up so it can be displayed with the rest of these tractors. And this kid can't be more than 10 or 11 years old. And he drove it like a pro. And so I just really thought, you know, this is really cool to be here in Iowa, kind of the heartland of the country, see the family, you know, uniqueness that's here, get the feel of being in the midst of the farmers and all the good work that they do, 
and just see how these families take these young boys and groom them, even at the young age, to be outstanding young men. I was really impressed with it and thought it was just incredible. So I drove from there back to Nashville, Tennessee, turned the truck back in, got there about 8 in the morning. Flight was at close to noon, got to sleep in one of the gates there for about three hours, flew back to Washington, took the Metro home, and another another job is in the books that worked well. Last thing I'll say is you can go to our YouTube page, 1-800-JUNK-REFUND. You can see a video of this trip to Iowa. I think I called it Eye on the Road to Iowa, something like that. And you can basically see video clips that shows you everything I just told you on the show. Thanks for listening this week. Hope it's been fun for you. It's been fun for me to share these stories with you. Um, you're listening to the Junk Refund Show. We'll be back next Thursday at 3 o'clock Eastern. Tell you more things inside and outside the world of junk removal around this wonderful country. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Don and Doug Newsom at BBS Radio being our producers and doing such a great job each week. We'll see you next week, Thursday at 3 o'clock on the Junk Refund Show on BBS Radio. I'm your host, Alan Cook. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Junk Refund Show, the longest-running junk removal radio show on the air. Join us next week as we discuss innovative ways to declutter your home, your business, and your life using 20 years of junk removal experience. Find out why we give out free ice cream gift cards to our clients, too. In upcoming shows, we will explore how to get the junk out of your relationships, your spiritual life, your waistline, even your travel life. Plus, call in with questions and situations you would like some help with. At one 800 Junk Refund, we are committed to bringing the next generation of junk removal because not all junk is junk. See you next week on the Junk Refund Show every Thursday afternoons at 3 p.m. Eastern Time right here on BBS Radio TV.